1 Corinthians 12, please. Now, we don't have very many more weeks that we will be in this passage. We're getting closer to the end all the time anyway, and I don't intend to cover every single verse and explain them all through like uh, I would do in some passages. I've been aiming at one thing particularly, and that is the efficient functioning of the church. How are we to function? And that's why I think in most commentaries, I have to confess, and, and the teachings I've had over the years in Bible college and such, the emphasis we normally give this chapter is, what is my spiritual gift? <laughs> and everyone wants to figure it out, and then they're happy when they find out where they rank on the list that's toward the end of the chapter. You see it there in verse uh, 29 or verse 28. And they say, well, which am I? Uh, apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, gifts, healings, helps, administration. And they say, well, that's all I really am looking for in this book is what am I? What am I? And this chapter really is, what do I do, is more than what am I. Um, There is a lot that it says about the church and how God designed it. And when I step back and look at the whole picture, I see that he didn't design it without a purpose. His purpose is all over the pages of this chapter. It's in every single verse, practically, his purpose of the way... We were put together that we might function. And we might function to our best of of the design he has made us to be so that the church is blessed and growing. And uh, these gifts are put in their place and they're being useful to edify one another. It's a pretty picture. Really it is. Um, And in case you're wondering, so how do you think the Corinthians handled this? Uh, They were a church that was quite a mess. They were good at competition, not at cooperation. They were good at division and not at their duties. They, they had all these challenges, and Paul wrote this letter to them, and I think he probably broke a lot of lead pencils on the way. Uh, I don't think he used lead pencils, but you got the picture. Uh, he, he, he would have written this on his texting in all caps, is what it was, because he was trying to make his point. And he follows this chapter with, one chapter that's probably one of the most famous in all of Scripture, and that's 1 Corinthians 13. And yes, it has everything to do with chapter 12. That's what makes things function. And so, when we finish up a couple of weeks of 1 Corinthians 12, we will touch just a couple of times in chapter 13. Alright, because it's part of the chapter, really, and so we're going to look at it that way. So, here in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to look specifically at, uh, where's my verse? I got a number, verse number 26. That's our specific verse today. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We got halfway through that last time. I want to finish up those thoughts here today. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us. We do ask this. And with sincerity of heart, we come to you acknowledging that we are completely dependent upon you and your your education for us and your power for us, not only to understand, but to do what we have been called to do, to learn how to function as we ought and do it better as we should, 
there's a lot for us to do, a lot to learn, a lot to receive from you. And you give us an abundance of it here in this chapter. So we open it up again today, Lord, with our minds and our hearts ready to learn from this passage and to see what you would have us to do. And I pray, Lord, you bless our time and guide us through it, we pray, for your glory, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to do something with you because we've been touching on this, but I want you to walk through chapter 12 with me just for a minute. I'm going to start reading in verse number 1. And when we hit one passage, one phrase that I want you to notice specifically, based on what we've been doing, I'll say something like, circle that one, all right? I don't know if you're a circler or underliner. If you don't do that at all, and maybe you put it on a notepad, maybe you put it on the bulletin somewhere. Uh, don't lose your bulletin if you do. But uh, we're going to mark those essential phrases that we have seen in this passage so far. Chapter 12 starts, but now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I have made known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Mark that. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Mark that. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Mark that. Notice in those three verses the source of the gifts, of the ministries, and the effects. Sometimes we, we rejoice in the gift that we might understand we have, and then we give ourselves the credit for what it does. <laughs> That's not the way it works. God is the one who uses those gifts in their locations to bring about His fruit. All we do is maybe plant or water, but who gives the increase? God does. That's a very important section right there because we're talking about source. And the source is God. Starting to verse number 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Especially, mark the last part of that verse. Why did he give us gifts? Why does he give us ministries? Why does he give us effects? It's for the common good. It's not for our own good. It's so that my ministries and effects can minister to you. It's for your good. Your ministries and effects minister to me. It's for my good. It's for the common good. To one is given the word of wisdom, verse 8 says, through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretations of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things. This is a good one to mark. Distributing to each one individually just as he wills. It's his design, isn't it? That's what we see. 
Yes, there's a variety, but it's his design. Each one individually receives as he designed it. For even, verse 12 says, as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 18, mark it. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. It's still his plan, right? Verse number 19. And if there were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. He said, that's a lot? Yes. Look at the middle of verse 24 and mark it. God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that, very important, there may be no division in the body, and that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is a fascinating picture to me. You obviously see what I've emphasized. This is God's plan, right? This is God's work. This is God's equipping, God selecting, God placing, God composing of the body, the church. He put it together. Too often, I have to confess, we pastors walk around and say uh, to other pastors, well, this is what God is doing in my church. We always use that little pronoun, my. And, well, there's some truth to that in one way, but in the other, the reality is, this is God's church. This is His design. This is His work. Sometimes it's amazing to see what happens, and we, we might say, I want to take credit for that, when we can't. It's God's, it's God's work. And He should get the glory for it. We all agree with that, don't we? There's no problem with that. We understand that. It's just sometimes in the functioning of the parts, we can get into any one of these traps that the Corinthians had, where they thought one person wasn't important, why are they here? Or another person thinking, I'm greatly important, and why are you here? <laughs> we have all kinds of uh, perspectives that really show, I'll say it, immaturity. Parts of the body that can't get along. Now, most of the time, when we look at a, a six- or seven-year-old, we think they're rather cute. Put them all in the same room and make them a little hungry. And then cuteness is out the door in a hurry. I know, I've had a few of those. 
But we, we, we picture things as ideally this is what it should be. And when we start putting our idea of what the church should look like instead of God's idea of what it is, we start to, down a road that's, I, I'm sorry to say it, but we start to evaluate the importance of one another. We start to evaluate the importance of ourselves. And we start to evaluate things like the world does today. How big is your church? How much money does your church have? How many people do you have? What kind of uh, population do you have in your church? What's their, what's their occupations? And, and we start to evaluate churches according to social concepts and not according to God's way. Because as you have clearly seen, when God composed the body, he puts all the members in there as he picks them. It's not our pick. And so when it comes to functioning together, it's not that we think if we get rid of so-and-so, we're functioning better. Our challenge is to learn how to function better with so-and-so. That's our big challenge. That's what brings growth in the body. Spiritual growth. Maturity. Because our mature members should be helping our less mature members to become more mature members. And think of the difference that will make if we invest in one another that way. This chapter is all about investing in your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it really comes down to. What are we doing so that all of us are arriving to our efficient functioning within this church? That's what we should be aiming for. That's why when you see in verse number 26, when one member suffers, all, all, you see it? We said it a lot last week. All the members suffer with it. That's very important. Like I said, we don't have a, 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 a committee of sufferers in the church that if somebody's in trouble, we just send them over. Matter of fact, I think we almost have an extreme on the other side that when somebody's suffering, we tend to all rush over there. You know, there are times I go to the hospital, I'm in line, it seems, with all the other people that are coming in and out of the door uh, to see somebody. Um, I understand that, because we're concerned when we get our prayer concerns. We, we all of a sudden say, oh no, and it spreads, and we, we get our information out like that. But the reality is that the, the functioning of the church would be the best when all the members are in tune with each other to the degree that if you're suffering, and that's not just physical, that's spiritual. That's if you're, if you're having a hard week because of your, your spiritual growth, your maturity, you're having bad responses to situations you're in, you're having struggles in one way or another, there's a lot to what that word struggle could include. All the members should be involved in that. All of us. Is that a high calling or what? All the members. I think we should take that seriously because I gave you the simple picture using the body, since the body is dominant in chapter number 12, the, the picture of the value of a white blood cell when there's an infection or injury in the body. They rush to the spot. They do that on purpose. God designed it so. I think it'd be great if we were all good white blood cells. That's a good picture for us to go rushing off every time we see... Somebody's in trouble. Somebody's in trouble. It's unfortunate that the history of churches over the years have been so-and-so's in trouble, let's get him off the team. 
And we've done that for so many times, folks. We really have. We've said, no, that, that one's too much of a challenge. Let's not put them on the team. Let's, let's separate from this one. That one's too much for us. That one doesn't act right. Let's, let's just take that one off the team. I've been in church for 30-some years as pastors, and I can tell you the stories. How much better off we're going to be, pastor, if so-and-so would just find someplace else to go? It's like, well, you know what? That's contrary to this passage. If you want the real challenge of the church, figure out how to incorporate that so-and-so into your fellowship and into your ministry and find what they do best. Because God gave them something, didn't he? Aren't they gifted if they belong to Jesus Christ? Yes. Why are we so hesitant? Because we have to recognize them the way God designed them, not the way we prefer them. There's a big difference. So we talked about that. When all the members suffer, I mean, when one member suffers, we all suffer with it. And you say, okay, Pastor, well, suffering's not my thing. I, I prefer the second half of the verse. When somebody's being honored, I love rejoicing. Guess what? That's the harder part. You ready? He said, well, isn't that about easy? I mean, rejoicing, that's easy to do, isn't it? Let me read to you a quote first. This is written by Charles Spurgeon. You know, I, I reference him quite often, and I enjoy what he has to say. This is his words. Whether one member suffer or all the members suffer with it, or one member is honored and all the members rejoice with it, I'm afraid that the second half of the verse before it refers to a duty which is more neglected than is the other. It is an easier thing to suffer with those who suffer than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I will tell you why it is so. Because in giving compassion to those who suffer, you have some sense of dignity. Condensation is often a sort of pride. And when a brother is better off than you, when he has more talent than you have, when he is more successful than you are, for you to go and rejoice with him and be as glad as if it were all your own gladness, eh, to enter into his joy and say, God be thanked, my brother, for thy prosperity. I would increase it if I could, or if I feel that I am a partner with you. Ah, this needs great grace. So may God give us more grace continually and deliver us from everything like envy, which is of Satan, and yet is all too common among professing Christians. Honestly, that stopped me in my tracks when I read it. I said, really? What was the number one problem with those who, who can struggle with those who do well? Envy. They say, well, they're better off than me. They're, they're doing better than me. They've got this. I don't have this. And suddenly the comparisons start. Let me ask you a simple question. Is envy a good ingredient in the, uh, the, the product of the church? Is that too easy a question to answer? Is envy a good ingredient to mix in? Do you know how many times in the New Testament it's addressed, especially to the believer? 
Because we have a tendency to be competitive. We have a tendency to think, I should have that. I should get that. How many times has somebody given, been given the credit where you actually did the work? And you didn't like that. I know you didn't because none of us really do. It's kind of hard to rejoice in that, that they got credit for something. It's hard to rejoice when they do it better than you. I'll tell you an instance, and, and it was kind of a rough one. It was a, it, was a, it was a really tough time. One of the churches I was serving at, uh, there was a, a man in our church. He, was, he loved to serve. He loved to do things. He wasn't, he wasn't very gifted in construction things, but he wanted to do construction things. And one day I was speaking, and, and I just made reference to it, I guess, was that uh, the church pulpit was awfully dark. It was hard to see the words on the page. didn't have these bright lights up overhead and such. And so I was thinking just a little light, like a little desk light, attached to the front of the pulpit would be very nice, and I could just turn it on and see everything. I made a message to that to some degree, and... Um, the next day, he was in there, working on it. He was installing this little light up here in the front. And he put that all in there, and boy, he worked hard, and there were screws all over the place. I mean, because if you've ever worked with those, like, piano lights or something like that, and they're mounting to this, I mean, you set it up, and then it leans all the way over this way, and you straighten it up, and it leans out. And so what it needs is more screws, right? So it just, and it's just, I mean, the screws all over, and this thing... And it, it, it got so rigid it wouldn't even move after a while. But if you just moved your Bibles, then it goes thump, and it'd go over. And it was one of those kind of fun things. So anyway, he did it out of complete love. I know it. It was, it was his heart's desire to do that. There was a guy in the church better at it. And he came in days after to fix it. And you may say, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. Except for one thing. Guess how the first person felt when he saw him up there with his screwdrivers repairing his work. It didn't go over well at all. Boy, was that a tough week. I would call the first guy on the phone. He wouldn't answer his phone. I'd go and knock on his door. He wouldn't answer his door. I'd go down the street and call from a pay phone to his house to use a different number. He'd pick it up and say, huh, who's that? I said, I'm knocking on your door. Open it up. <laughs> it was quite a week. It was really a challenge. But our, our, our own human spirit gets in the way too many times when we start seeing other people and what they're ga- pa- capable of, and especially if they step in and they fix something you've done or they change it. You know, we do this with ministry too. We get our grip on it so tight that to let go of it, uh, it's mine. It's mine. What if God has so designed somebody to follow you and you're to train them? No, it's mine. What if God's design is for somebody to do that that does it differently than you do? You know, that human side of us sticks out so much. And I could say it's immaturity, but more times than not, it's a focus on self. The simple picture is that we're supposed to be here to help one another grow up. 
We're supposed to be giving to each other. Think not on your own interest, but on the interest of others. We're supposed to have an attitude, right? If you go to Philippians 2. Have the same attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And he became a servant. He became a servant to us. And all these challenges set before us. And so many times when it comes to rejoicing, you may say, that sounds so easy to do. Except if you put yourself in the equation. And you start to look at it like, why don't I have? Why don't I have? Why don't I have? When we're here to rejoice with that person. What, what difference does it make if I rejoice with him? I didn't like what he did anyway. So many times we, we qualify rejoicing with an attitude. I'll just say it. We put an attitude in our rejoicing. Who deserves it? Who doesn't? You see where it can mess up a church? In a big hurry? Envy. Envy. Oh, that's a terrible thing. There are two kinds of envy, by the way. Scripture talks about it. One's jealous and one's envy. You say, aren't those the same? Not exactly. There's one kind of envy the Greek talks about, and there's different words used, and I won't go into which one is which at the moment. But uh, the first one is, boy, that person has it, and I wish I did. And there's a jealous. There's a, a degree of jealousy. There's a second envy that's very malicious. It says, that person has it, and I'm going to make sure he doesn't have it. And that's a pretty gruesome envy. That's a horrible envy. But the fact is that anytime envy, no matter what kind it is, pops into the picture, efficiency drops out. Go over here with me just for a minute. Chapter 13. I'll show you why I said this has to be part of this. Verse number four. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it is not what? Ooh, you see that word? It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Ooh, there it is again. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Well, here it comes. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. That's our challenge, folks. When you read the second part of this verse, who is supposed to be rejoicing in the rest of verse 26? Who? Did you see the little word? All. When one person rejoices, guess what all of us are supposed to do? Rejoice with them. Rejoice for them. Rejoice. Rejoice is always aimed at the Lord anyway, because He's the one who gets the credit. But we're supposed to rejoice with one another. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. It's it's a challenge. It's going to stretch you to do these verses. Because you're not going to do it your way. You're going to have to do it God's way. Rejoice in Him. I've had days, I remember, even as a pastor. And and this sticks in my mind every time I read it. And I I don't share this with any sort of uh, um, glory or anything like that. Matter of fact, it's rather humiliating to some degree. But uh, I was at a pastor's uh, um, meeting, IFCA meeting. I did that quite a bit in Indiana. We'd meet about a few 
four months, three months or four months, we'd get together, all the pastors, and there were like 25, 30, 40 of us. There was quite a few at times. And uh, I remember one day, I was, I was pretty low that day. I went out to minister or to be with the guys, and, and I always drove the furthest. It was, I was on that end of the state that I had to drive two or three hours, maybe four hours to go to a meeting. And so I, I got to this meeting, and, and um, I was feeling pretty low. The church was having a tough time. We had a small congregation. Uh, I had already put my name out to several other churches to see. You know, we, we had a, a reason that we needed to, to move on. Their church was too small. The parsonage was too small. We had our youngest child living in a closet, and uh, they couldn't afford a new parsonage. And, and so we thought, you know, if we moved on, we could bring in another family that's smaller. So it wasn't a problem. It's just uh, in that I was just feeling low because I had gotten a notice from one church that says, well, if he's a missionary pastor, he's never been a real pastor, has he? Well, that doesn't go over too well either. And I just had a compound of things. And I'm sitting there in a chair, and everybody's up there getting their meals, and I haven't gotten up yet, but I'm sitting there, and a couple of the men turned around and they looked at me. And I must have looked horrific. I mean, my face was probably laying in my lap. I don't know. But they said, wow, look at him. And it's like, I was shocked. <laughs> they said, he looks like he lost his dog or something. You know, one of those kind of phrases. But, but it caught my heart. I mean, I didn't know I was wearing it on my face. That I, I was feeling bad that day. And I didn't realize I was, I was wearing it quite like that. And, and it struck me as funny. That all these other pastors, they had their struggles too, but we had gathered together to mutually encourage one another, build each other up, and and rejoice in each other. And I was looking at all of them like they had everything and I had nothing. And it looked like that on my face. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I try not to do that anymore. <laughs> but you know how care is, is heavy on the body. It could be heavy on the face too. When we read phrases like, all the members, you know, in order for that to happen, it would take all of us to be involved in two things. One, the response, yes. Rejoicing or suffering, whichever the case might be. But here's the first thing that has to happen. We all have to be in tune with each other. We have to know if somebody is suffering that we need to suffer. We need to know that somebody's rejoicing. And you say, well, isn't that what prayer chains are for and Facebook and everything like that? Wouldn't it be great to have a body that understands us better than Facebook or prayer chains or anything else? But that we can fellowship together and know when one another is hurting or one another is rejoicing and we can participate together in that? That's what it looks like when the church is growing together. They know each other, not just on a Sunday basis, but it's a life basis, because we're all in this every day together. And this is what I'm looking at when I'm looking at this passage, and he says, all, all the members are to rejoice, or all the members are to suffer. That means we have to know one another. <laughs> we have to be with one another. We've got to understand the dynamic of what the body is all about, because God designed that body that way. We have to take great care. 
in this body that we don't promote ourselves over others. There's no room for individuality when it comes to all the members. All the members. All the members. He keeps saying this here. What do you do with this? Let me, let me give you a couple of simple points. One, when you look at the church as a whole, acknowledge that it is God's design that the body be composed in this way. That's the first step we should take. We should understand that it is God's design that the body is composed in the way it is. Okay? Second thing I would acknowledge is that by God's design, you are necessary to the body. By God's design, you are necessary. Third thing is, all the other members of the body are necessary too. They're all necessary. I love the word necessary, don't you? That's an important word in this passage. The fourth one I'd add, acknowledge that the ultimate goal of every member is to see that all the members grow up to be like Christ. I just ask you a simple question. What have you done recently to help another brother or sister in the body to become more like Jesus? What have you invested in to help them become more like Jesus? If you can say, you know, Pastor, that's a hard one because I'd have to think way far back to get that answer. That'd be a shame. Because that's something you should be involved in right now. You should be a part of somebody else's maturity in Christ. That's what we're called to do. It's necessary for each one of us to take each other's spiritual maturity seriously. We should be involved in that. You want the body to grow, don't you? We, we want the, the body to mature in Christ. Anytime you neglect your own spiritual growth, you're actually damaging the whole body. Did you hear that? When you neglect your own spiritual growth, you're hurting the whole body, and you put on that body a preventable burden. When my children were little, we didn't mind carrying them around. Take them into the store, child in the hand. Some of you still there. You carry your children around, you don't mind that. You carry them through the parking lot. Why? Because cars are bigger than little people. The cars don't see them, so you carry them. You hold them tight. You walk through there. But there comes a time when carrying your children comes to an end. Nobody saw me carry Paul into the room today, did they? I'm not going to try it. He's supposed to be able to carry himself by this point. We don't mind helping a brother or sister who's hurting. We don't mind it when they suffer and we can rush to their aid. Maybe we don't even mind if they're doing well. And we rejoice in that. We like that too. But we still hope and we still pray that each one of us grow up in Christ. Mature in Christ to be part of the team that works together so we can assist others who are in need. So your spiritual growth is important to me. 
And it should be important to all of us. And so when it says that one person suffers, I should be in tune for that, and you should be in tune for that, and we should rush to that person because for whatever reason, they're hurting today, and they need help so that they can be stronger, so they can help us help other people. And if they're rejoicing today, we should all rejoice with them. We should all rejoice with them because they're rejoicing in what God has done through them or for them. And shouldn't that get His glory from all of us? Shouldn't we all say, wow, that's great. What a great God we have. Take yourself out of the equation and put God in it. (laughs) What a great thing, God, you have done. See, when we start to look this way, you see verse 27 pop off the page. You are Christ body. You are His body. And you're individually members of it. That's the way He designed it. So that the body could be most efficient. So that it could function when all its members are functioning as they're designed by God to do. That's going to take communication. That's going to take effort. It's going to take investment and work. That all of us are involved in this together. Have I said it clearer or do I have to start all over? This is so important to this chapter. So important. That's why the love part of it comes really strong to follow. Because how are we going to do it if we don't have the love of God? How are we going to do it? This, folks, I'm going to leave on your heart to think about. To pray about. Read through the passage again. I gave you verses marked. Go back over them and look again, look again, look again. Underscore the word all. How often it shows up in the text. All, all, all. Look at that carefully and ask the Lord, what am I doing in this body that brings you the glory you deserve? I'm going to ask you to challenge yourself with a question like that. What am I doing, Lord, in this body for your glory, what am I doing for your glory? Heavenly Father, help us with this. These kind of things are strong. They're, they're powerful. And it changes our whole perspective of things. We start to see each other differently. When we can rejoice with one another without the envy. When we could suffer with one another without the, the view that these people are dispensable where we can learn to walk together and minister together, function together, and do it better and better and better as we grow to be like Jesus. What a great thing it would be to see a mature, healthy, functioning, efficient body of Christ. May we desire that with all our heart, Lord. And may we be in tune with that, that our spiritual growth is important to everybody else. Mark it in our lives and help us to grow thereby, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.